Hey everyone, welcome back to Here Apologetics. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the problem of evil. I have Kyle Allander from Christian Idealism, and we're going to be talking about his theodicy. So Kyle, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, pretty good. Thanks for having me. You're on. Good. So we're going to make an attempt to like give a really big answer to the problem of evil today. Um, so looking at like your theodicy, which is going to cover a lot of different grounds and questions of all kinds of evils, um, and suffering. So Kyle, anything you want to say about who you are and like why we should listen to you with like a topic like this? <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm my name's Chris. Um, Kyle Allender. I uh, run the Christian Idealism YouTube channel, and recently I've been going deep into the philosophy of religion, and specifically I've been narrowing on the problem of evil debate. Um, now, I know you had me on last time, and I mentioned how I don't think the problem of evil works at all, so I don't even think it works in an evidential sense, and I gave four main reasons. Consider this today as like a fifth reason, right? But I think more importantly, this fifth reason, if you want to call it that, is an actual explanation, I think, for why God allows um, evil, and more importantly, why God created our type of world, right? And with all the different, um, you know, aspects of our world. Um, one of the things I, I, I want to mention here is that today I'm going to be telling a story, and this is a story um, about God's love for, for the world, right? And so, because what I see a lot is a lot of arguments for theism sort of, they don't use God's love as an explanation for why certain things exist, but rather use God's power. And so what I'm going to do today is go over God's love, right? And so what I'm going to go over today is sort of like a story of God's love and why, how does God love his creation? And hopefully today I can give a sort of answer to that question of why God loves his creation. And this will be, of course, a theodicy, right? Um, that's that's basically how I view theodicy is basically, you know, it's this sort of explanatory account for why evil exists in the world, right? And I think it needs to give a coherent account. So that's what I'm going to do today. Mm -hmm. That makes yeah, sense. I'm super pumped for this. And I guess the best way to start this off, and I didn't encourage people, it's linked in the description, is the first thing where we talked about four reasons the problem of evil fails. Um, but I think the most important thing, um, one of the things to lay out here is like the axiology of like your theodicy. So we're talking about axiology, we're talking about like value and things like this. Um, so like how are axiological considerations going to play a role in your theodicy, Kyle? Yeah, so one of the things about theodicy is um, what a lot of people do is they, you know, they sort of start off with a, with a axiology, right? Or they, they start to tell a story, but then in the story, their axiology is different, right? So I want to start off here before I get into the actual theodicy with, with the axiology that sort of underpins it, right? Because this will help sort of then once we have the axiology, then we can sort of build from there. So the first uh, axiological consideration is uh, the, the defeat condition. I mentioned this in our previous discussion, but briefly, the defeat condition is basically the idea that um, all evil must be defeatable, which means that whatever evil happens to a creature, there must be some way in which that evil can be integrated into a larger whole, right? Mm -hmm. uh, let me see if I can find the actual um, definition of defeat. Let me see here real quick. So, so hold on. Let me see here. Okay, so the so yeah, so Adams and uh, John Schneider they define defeat as this: an evil is defeated when it is integrated as a consti constitutive part of a viable possible whole, and that not in that 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 defeat not only outweighs the evil, but that um, that defeat could not be as valuable or that good cannot be as valuable as it was without that evil, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so on this sort of account, um, you know, the evil remains within within the world, but that this evil can be sort of part of a greater whole. And this will lead to my second uh, general considerations, which is the whole good, the good holes versus the good or the good parts versus the good whole. Right. So what does this mean? Well, there's two different ways you can look at um, value. So one way to look at it is through parts whole or a good parts, right, where you have, you know, you have all good actions or all good state of affairs right on, on one end and a no bad state of affairs whereas on the good whole aspect you have good states of affairs but that you have evil you know bad states of affairs but that that evil bad state of affairs is, is part of a larger whole right um and this is a little bit different because on this sort of account um it sort of recognizes the fact that there is no best possible world that basically any world that God can create, there's always there can always be a better world, right? So if you view goodness and value as a on a good part paradigm, right? Well, God can't actually create a perfect world on that paradigm because any world that God creates, you can always just add a good part to that world, right? So any world that God creates here, oh, there's another world over here where you know God can just sort of add value to that world, right? And this is because of uh, what's called the no inferior choice principle, where any choice that God makes, there cannot be an inferior choice. So any choice that God makes, um, if that choice is inferior to another choice, then God has to make, you know, the better choice. Right. But then the problem here, at least when you look at it through the good, the good parts paradigm is that um, you, you're not going to be able to like God's not going to be able to actually create a best world. Right. Because any world that God creates, there could always just be a better one. I mentioned this in the in our previous discussion. Right. And this was sort of. You know, this is what sort of stops the problem of being an issue is because if there is no best world, then what, how can we say that, that God must create a perfect world if that's metaphysically impossible, right? So in my sort of account, the, the axiology that I use is, uh, is a good whole paradigm, right? Where there can be evil, right? That's part of a good whole, right? So in that sort of way, then there's sort of um, this, then this will bring to my next idea, which is that... Um, which is called what is called the problem of value incommensibility. So any world that God creates, there's always going to be an incremental um, value world that you know that some other set of circumstances by which God can create this other world, right? But mm -hmm. the, I guess with incommensibility, what that shows here is that um, there's a set of worlds that are incremental to one another, so you can't actually compare them in terms of value, right? Um, and with this in mind, I think this this gives more freedom to what God will actualize, right? So if God is motivated to create good things, right, if that's sort of what, what theism entails, then God's actions are in terms of motivations, right? And so, you know, just because you can say, oh, well, you know, God has the ability to create a different world, it doesn't mean he's actually going to be motivated to do so, right? And this is important. Well, I'll get into later, but um, but yeah. So those are my, I guess, five uh, general, actually logical considerations. So the defeat condition, the the good whole paradigm, right? So instead of looking at, at value as a good part, you look at a good whole, and then you say that God is motivated, right, to create good things, right? And it's in terms of motivations, not abilities. And then fourth would be the near, no inferior choice principle. And so you know, from here you say, okay, well, if God Okay, let, let, let's put it like this. If God is is all good, then he is motivated to create good things. Now, the question is, what exactly is it that God will create, right? Um, and on this sort of account, because of the no inferior choice principle, and, and given that principle and the 
incommensibility principle, then the only worlds that God can actually create are going to be defeatable worlds. What does that mean? Well, if God cannot create a perfect world on a good parts paradigm, given the problem of incommensibility and given the no inferior choice principle, then the only world that God can create is going to be through a good whole paradigm, which means that God can create basically any world as long as, as long as there's good things in that world and as long as that world as a whole is good, right? I hope that makes sense. I mean, is there any uh, questions you have on that? Or? Yeah, I mean, if I'm just following you right, then like the way you're looking at it is there's no best possible world. Or, like this is the best way. So then like God isn't necessarily going to, going to do a certain option like god has options when he's thinking about like what kind of world he yeah wants to create. and so basically the options that god has is just god all that god has to do is just create a good world or a good mm -hmm. or a, a world that's not the best necessarily but rather is best in terms of a good whole mm -hmm. right because there, there is no be. best but god's creating a world that like where it looks like um in some sense this might be the best world in some respect or this is like a really good world right this is a best world in terms of a certain um in terms of a certain value valuable whole or at least in terms of like okay we have this best world that's incommensable to some other best world right so god's gonna sort of you know choose which one to actualize and there are some theists that actually think that um that god would actualize all of them so that would be motor realism right or at least a, mm -hmm. a theistic motor realism i am sort of agnostic on that i'm open to that possibility um but for here, I'm, I'm going to focus, at least for my theology, I'm going to focus specifically on the world that we live in, right? So I'm not going to talk about all the other possible worlds that God could have actualized, right? But rather the world that we actually, or the world that um, we live in, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I hope that sort of helps. Basically, in conclusion, the only, um, on this sort of account, the only thing that God is motivated to create is going to be a good whole world or a world that's good on the whole, right? Given the defeat condition and given you know, incommensibility and no inferior choice principle and all that stuff. So that's the, that's the start of it. Right. And so the reason why things exist, at least in our world, right. Is because they're good. Right. On that sort of account. Right. Mm -hmm. So the reason why God created stars is because they're good. The reason why God created humans is because they're good. The reason why now, of course, when it gets to evil, it, it's, it gets a little more complicated there. Right. Well, okay. Well, if God, if God's going to create worlds, you know, because if God's are, if God's going to create things because they're good, then what about evil? And right. And so this is where the theodicy comes in to sort of answer that question. Um, and so I'm going to now I think I've laid out the axiology. Mm -hmm. And so I should probably get started with <laughs> with the theodicy itself. Yeah, what do you let's think? do it. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, I think that's great. So one of the things is we have to start. OK, so remember the axiology. OK, so if God has to create a good whole world right if god is motivated to do that then um there is a little bit more freedom for god to actualize a certain world and so the only world that god has to create is a world with good things right now what about our world right when we narrow it down to our world well i would say that god has motivations or god there's it's good for god to create an autonomous world right mm -hmm. and it's good for god to create a world of what i call cosmic soul building right this is this is um well cosmic soul building is a is a sort of new idea in the philosophy religion but basically it's the idea that um there's sort of there are moral goods that god is you know motivated to create but there's also sort of aesthetic goods that god is motivated to create and so one of those aesthetic goods 
is going to be um, a sort of cosmic soul balloon idea, right? This is argued by um, Joshua Rasmussen and then some other author, I forgot his name. But basically the idea is that given incommensibility, then God actualized the universe to evolve through time. And this mm -hmm. is an incommensible good. So the very fact that you, you can have a universe that sort of evolves in you know, through this cosmic soul building can evolve over time, I would say that that is a good, right? And so then in that case, then God is motivated to create the world. Now, of course, you can ask, okay, well, why, why, you know, why that specific good? Why not some other good, right? And I would say mm -hmm. my response to that just briefly is going to be the reason why God um, created this specific good and not some other specific good. We can actually identify the reason within the within the thing itself, right? So if we identify the fact that like that um, a, a world that sort of evolves and grows on its own, if if that's a good, so if progressive if progressive, if, if becoming better over time, if that's a good, right, then the reason why God would actualize that state of affairs is because it's good that something gets better over time, right? And I'm talking about just the whole universe here. So I'm not just talking about humans or animals or whatever. I'm actually talking on a cosmic level. So when we, when we apply this, this concept on the cosmic level, um, and if, you know, I mean, just think about it. I mean, so if God cannot create a perfect world, right? Given the mm -hmm. problems that I mentioned earlier, given the axiology, then um, the next best action for God to do is going to create a world where it actually progressively gets better over time, right? Where the value of that world just increases as time moves along, right? And this is where the, at least I call it um, the evolving worlds theodicy comes into play here, where if an evolving or if, if a world that can grow in value over time um, is the best option for God to do, then he will do it, right? He will create that sort of world, right? And one of the things is, uh, with the, especially with the defeat condition, right? So if you look at the defeat condition, you can actually apply, I think, the defeat condition to aesthetic goods. So you can apply it to the beginning of the universe, right? Mm -hmm. And how the universe evolves, right? Yeah. And so that's sort of, on that sort of account, then, if, that's, if it's true that God, um, if it's a good thing for God to create an autonomous world, right, with stars and planets and stuff, um, then that entails, it basically entails that there's going to be a long causal history to our world, right? And so mm -hmm. with that in mind, then theism actually sort of entails that there's going to be a long causal history to the history of our universe, you know? So God is not going to be motivated to create, you know, world instantaneously, right, out of nowhere, but rather God's going to sort of let natural processes play out, right? Mm -hmm. And again, this this has to do with the whole cosmic soul building view, Right. So when you have this when you have this cosmic soul building idea in the background, this sort of helps to um, understand, OK, what's the what's the goal of creation? Right. And I would say, given this theodicy, that the goal of creation is to um, be called right into the infinite or be called into communion with God, not in the same way that we are, but rather it becomes more perfect over time. Right. Mm -hmm. So just as we are called right to be in communion with God and to have union with God, the universe itself is also called to be in union with God, right? In, in a sort of different way, not in the same way we are, but in this sort of aesthetic way. I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have this idea that like, there's like this universe is in some sense going to be like aesthetically like united with God, like the universe is like evolving towards something that's like good and perfect. Um, yeah. Kind of, like fits with like the idea of like a perfect nature of God and they kind of like fit together. Yeah. And so this leads to the, you know, as I tell the story, you know, you have this good universe 
And so because the universe gets better over time, given this, then um, that good universe will then produce good things, right? And so this is where mm-hmm. things such as humans and animals come into play, right? Um, mm-hmm. And given the defeat condition, right, um, then as long as the evils that creatures experience are defeatable, right, God is authorized to allow them, right? And so, again, this has to do with if you look at it through a good whole paradigm, right, then it doesn't really matter how many instances of evil occur, but rather as long as those instances of evil are redeemable or defeatable, right? I mean, redeemable is another way you can put it, but it's the same sort of concept, right, where any sort of evil that takes place in any world in, in that sort of in our in our world, as long as it's defeatable, then God is sort of authorized to allow it, given given the defeat condition and given this good whole paradigm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what that does is, is it sort of, um, uh, you know, in my sort of theodicy, then all evil would be defeatable. Right. What does that mean? Well, it means that um, there's really no like quantitative limits to the amount of evil that exists but rather as long as that evil can be defeated right then mm-hmm. god can actualize it god can authorize it right um yeah and this is i think relevant to um this i think this what this does is it sort of you know you look at um natural evils you look at uh, moral evils right or evolutionary evils and you point to all of them and what you see is that you, you just, you know, okay, you like, let's say um, there's a parasite that um, causes the death of an animal. Okay. Well, and that's sort of, you know, that's a teleological evil, right? Well, so here's the question, right? Is that evil defeatable? If it is, then the theodicy answers that question. So the theodicy accounts for that evil. The reason why um, that evil is allowed or what explains that evil is because it's defeatable, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, with the cosmic soul building idea, that sort of answers the question, why does God allow evil, right? Um, And so on that sort of account, then all evil is defeatable, right? So now it gets a little more interesting with natural evil, right? So I I actually think that natural evil is just entailed from the cosmic soul building idea. So if the world is continually getting better over time, Okay, well, that you know that that's a good thing, right? But then I think more importantly, when it comes to natural evil, I think that natural evils are just going to be a consequence of the cosmic soul building, um, and that okay. I would argue that um, natural evils sort of allow, and this is what Swinburne argues, but basically, natural evils allows for a wider range of moral options that would otherwise not be possible, right? So this allows for, you know, uh, virtue growing, right? Um, so with that in mind, um, I think. This is important. I think now we should get into free will considerations in regards to this, because I think um, it'll be helpful for Mm -hmm. the theodicy itself. So there are three um, free will considerations I want to take into account here. And what I mean by free will is just this idea of moral responsibility or at least ultimate responsibility that, you know, when when we make certain decisions that we are ultimately responsible for our decisions, right? Um, so the first one is theistic determination, which is, um, I guess, briefly the idea that um, as far as, well, I don't have my notes with me on this, but the, the idea of theistic determination is that any world, in order for there to be um, significantly moral, um, you know, actions for humans to play out, then their development cannot be from directly God himself, but rather there must be some prior um autonomous uh processes that sort of influenced their character right Mm -hmm. 
Um, so the theistic determination idea is that God did not determine everything directly, right? Otherwise, you know, God would be then in control of like, you know, all of our, our, all of our desires and stuff, but rather it's the world itself that gave us those desires, right? So with that in mind, it gives us to the second uh, consideration, which is self-determination, where a free will, you know, when it, whenever a creature makes a free will decision, it has to be self-determined, right? Um, and that the choice comes from the agent itself. And then finally, the third consideration is human flourishing or soul building. With with you know with um with our self-determination and theistic determination, we can sort of work with those to build our characters, right? To build virtues, right? And I would argue, of course, that virtues are a good thing, right? And so then God would be you know motivated to to if God is to create a world um, with virtues, then it's just logically entailed that you're going to have um, certain evils that take place. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, with the defeat condition, that sort of helps eliminate that. Okay. Well, in that sense, then evil, you know, has to be not necessary, but rather evil has to be um, sort of present in the world, at least initially in order for creatures to defeat their evils, right. To overcome okay. their struggles and that helps to build virtue, right? And I would argue, of course, that this is a good thing, right? So as, again, as long as it's a good thing <laughs> for that to occur, then God is authorized to allow it, right? Um, and that there is no better world that you can really... Because, again, it's an incrementable value. So, you know, virtues and stuff, those are incremental good. You can't really compare them. You can't really say, oh, there's this other world where there's no virtues and it's better. I mean, that doesn't really work, right? Because of the problem of incrementability. And so that sort of accounts for why there's going to be evil and uh, suffering in the world, right? Now, it gets yeah. a little more interesting with um, the afterlife. Um, I actually think that my theodicy entails a resurrection, right? So not just any afterlife, but I actually think it entails um, the resurrection of the dead. Now, what, why is that the case? Well, I would argue that death, like physical human death, or not just human death, but also animal death, is a bad thing, right? So that's an evil. So the question is, how is God going to defeat, right? If God has to be, if God is constrained by the defeat condition, how is God going to defeat that evil? And I would mm -hmm. argue a resurrection, okay. <laughs> an, a, yeah. like an actual physical resurrection. So I'm not, so, I, you know, this has implications for religion, I think, but also he points out the fact that, um, that if God creates our world, Right. And if there's evils in that world, then God has to if God has to defeat those evils in some fashion, I would argue that there has to be a physical resurrection. So it's not just that we die and we go to some like immaterial realm and live there forever or whatever. No, I would argue that death has to be defeated in some fashion. And so if death has to be defeated and, if, you know, if death is a bad thing, then it has to be defeated. Then that entails a resurrection or a mm -hmm. general resurrection. Right. We're all. Yeah of life um gets resurrected in some fashion right okay um and so with this in mind you know this also applies i think to the universe where i mean actually obviously with the universe a little more complicated because i wouldn't uh i would i probably wouldn't say that the universe resurrects itself rather there is this sort of idea of a new creation right where the, you know um creation sort of defeats its own aesthetic trials right? Its own aesthetic um, evils, I would say, and becomes more perfect over time, right? So even after the general resurrection, it's still sort of defeating those evils as time goes along. But you get the general idea. And so 
to summarize my theodicy, again, consider the axiological, axiological considerations I mentioned earlier. Consider the free will considerations, which is uh, the determination, self-determination, human flourishing. And then consider cosmic soul building, right? And so, again, if this is a good world for God to actualize, if there is no better world given the um, incommensibility and given the known fear and choice principle and given that we're looking at this through a good whole paradigm, right, and given the defeat condition, um, then I would say that at least the world, that, within the context of the world that we live in, right, the reason why God allows for evil is so that we can get more perfect over time. And that the only way that's going to happen is if we actually defeat the evils that we currently experience. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and so that's my general theodicy that I, you know, that I have. And then I also, one final thing I want to mention, I, I forgot this, to mention this earlier, but my theodicy is sort of, it's a research project. So what does this mean? Well, I reject um, skeptical theism. So skeptical theism is the idea we can't have any idea about why God allows for evils. And then there's also dogmatic theism, which says that we can know every single reason for why God allows for evils. So I reject both. I don't say that we can't know, but I also don't say we, we can know every single you know, reason. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Did I break up? Uh, you could, you broke you broke up for a second, but you're back now. So okay. So I think there are so my point here is that I think we have some general ideas about why God allows for evil in the world, right? And so this sort of is a what I call I, I call it a uh, what's it called? An ideally flexible theism. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it means that it can just be a research project, right? Where we can learn more about why God allows for evil. So even if we don't like know every single reason for why God allows for evil. We can at least um, research more on this and like think more about about it, right? And th- so that's the that's the cool thing about at least with uh, my theodicy is that I I'm not claiming that my theodicy is like exhaustive, right? But it sort of allows a framework mm-hmm. to build on from, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean that's again that's my theodicy. So I guess if I were to summarize it. Um, you know, God loves his creation, right, obviously. And the way that God loves his creation is he's going to create a world that produces good things, right? And so if if uh, if things like um, moral virtue, so if progressive human knowledge is a good thing, and if progressive human knowledge about virtues is a, is a good thing, I would argue that an entailment of that is that God has to sort of actualize a world where there's trials, where um, there's a public environment so we can interact with one another, where there's going to be natural evil so that we can expand our knowledge about how to do good actions, right? Um, and then, of course, with the aesthetic stuff, there's, you know, the consideration about um, about aesthetic values. And, you know, in my video on, um, on the problem of evil, I mentioned how one of the aesthetic values was a cosmic kenosis, right? Where this mm-hmm. idea where the world sort of empties itself over and over and over again until it becomes more and more perfect over time. Right. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my theodicy. So it's sort of, uh, yeah. If you have any questions, um, if you want me to like restate the, the story I have yeah. here, let me just like resummarize the story and we can take it from there is kind of what I'm thinking. So, um, first, like we have this idea that like God's going to want to create, um, like kind of like a self-governing, self-governing world, um, that can kind of like, 
become progressively better. Um, it's like you're thinking like God's going to want it because it's a good thing to do um, to have a world where it starts off maybe okay or starts pretty rough, um, but it's going to progress and grow over time into something really good. Um, right. As a result of that, it's going to lead to good things such as like humans and animals. Like surely we want to say like my existence is good, cows is good, and my dogs downstairs, like they're good. Um, so a good universe is going to lead to things like you and me that can um, have great emotions like love, but with those things also have the ability to, to suffer. Um, right. Then, the next part of your theodicy, we have like the defeat condition, which means that like no matter what suffering anyone or anything goes through, that suffering can be incorporated into like the good story of the world and be defeated eventually. It's like even maybe like the most minute suffering, if it's like really evil, um, that's going to be defeated along with like really like horrific things. If we look over the course of history and things like that, like these things are going to be defeated under your theodicy. Not like, oh, maybe, um, but like they're actually. Yeah, they will be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So with that condition, then you're going to say, well, there's going to have to be a resurrection. Because I think a lot of times like with the Odyssey, it's like, hey, what could this free will or soul building do for someone that maybe faces like a horrific moment of suffering and just dies? Um, like, that's it. But given your kind of theodicy, that's like, that's not the end of the story. There's going to be resurrection where their suffering can be defeated. Um, and that's going to make a world where we have these trials and there's going to be redemption for the suffering. Like, do you think I did a good job? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that is, I mean, there's different ways you can cash it out, but I think the way that you did it was pretty, mm -hmm. pretty good. And like, you know, the, the whole resurrection part, like, I mean, that's like independently of like Christian theism. So I actually, I actually think that even if Christianity is false in, in the, strict sense right i actually mm -hmm. think that at least a christian version of the afterlife is true right yeah so even okay. if jesus is not the son of god or whatever um i actually think that we we have pretty good confidence that um a christian afterlife is is just entailed from from uh well not just from my theodicy but also is just literally entailed from theism itself mm -hmm. um which Again, I mean, I guess you could make a sort of argument because there are other religions that like they don't have a physical resurrection at the end of time. And so, you know, you can sort of narrow down, OK, which religion is most likely has it correct. But I think, you know, even if Christianity is not true in the strong sense, I think that um, it's, it's at least true in when it comes to the afterlife. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, what what is the what's the end goal? Like, what's the purpose of why we're here, basically? Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah. yeah. So with your view then, Kyle, one question then is, does your like the Odyssey require universalism? Because I know like that's a view you're sympathetic towards, um, but I know there's lots of Christians and um, people here. Like I like I'd love for that to be true, but I like I really struggle to see how that's going to be true. Yeah. Um, like, like for people like maybe like me, like can we hold to something like your theodicy and not be universalist? What do you think? Yeah. So um, you don't have to be universalist in the sense that um, everyone will be in heaven. But I think there is a universalism in, in one sense where all evil is defeated or at least that um, everyone is resurrected. Right. So even the damned, even the people that rejected God, they're still going to be resurrected. So in that sense, then they still defeat their evils. Right. But even if, you know, I mean, of course, in, in their circumstances. Right. I mean, with with um, with the nature of hell, it gets a little more complicated there. I I definitely lean towards a view where um they're given resurrected bodies right and stuff so they're able to like defeat at least the evils that they experience in their life um but then when it comes to like them being in communion with god that's where it gets a little more complicated because if they reject god then god's you know he's not going to force them to be with him in, in heaven right 
And mm -hmm. so in that sense, then they're going to have their own sort of territory, I would say, in the afterlife, um, which, of course, in the in the scriptures, they call it the the fire, I think, a, the lake of fire or whatever. Um, mm. Of course, there's a lot of metaphor. I don't view it as a literal lake of fire, obviously. But um, there's actually I think there's actually will there will be a sort of a society that's outside of God's kingdom. Um, I think C.S. Lewis does a good job of pointing, you know, picturing what hell might look like. Um, where everyone's sort of isolated from each other. Now, I'm I'm sort of I'm undecided on whether or not those people can be um, redeemed or not. I would say that if they don't want to be redeemed, then they're not going to be, mm -hmm. right? But I think um, at least at the last judgment, so when we get resurrected and all that stuff, I think um, there might be a possibility where they will have a sort of another chance. I don't know. Um, it's it's at that point it's really speculative about what god's gonna actually do to those people because I, mm -hmm. I i don't know what those you know i don't know what god's gonna do to them right but i would say that my my theodicy is compatible with any sort of view about you know eternal conscious torment annihilationism well actually now that i think about it i don't think i think annihilationism would um would maybe not be ruled out but i would i would argue that um if annihilation if, if annihilationism is true, I would say it's going to be an eventual annihilationism where somehow I don't know how they're going to do it, but somehow they're going to like you know kill themselves in their resurrected bodies again. I don't know how that would happen. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but yeah, generally I I would say that um, my theodicy is compatible with with any view about you know about what the nature of hell is and stuff. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, maybe one more question, Kyle, just thinking about like your theodicy. So we have this idea. Um, I'm wondering for like, like human beings that maybe like face like really intense, like unredeemable sufferings in this life. Uh, maybe it's something that happens right before they die or over the course of time, like maybe like an intense horrific suffering where it seems like for them on this side of eternity, like there, there's no full redemption, no full defeat at suffering. Like, what does that look like on the other side? Like, um, is it something like they come to recognize and appreciate their suffering? Like, how exactly is this going to be hashed out and saying that all evils are going to be defeated on the other side, if not on this side? Yeah, so um, the idea is that with the, I mean, there's two ways you can look at it. Um, so within, um, at least within Catholic theology, there's this of debate, not, well, yeah, there's this debate between the survivalists and the corruptionists, right? Um, so survivalism, there's, there's a view that um, you will sort of, like, when you die, you will sort of experience um, the what's called the intermediate state, which is the state between when you die and the general resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a view, it's it's called survivalism. Um, I know some Thomists hold to it. There is substance dualists that hold to it, at least on the Catholic tradition. Um, on that sort of account, then when you die, um, you're sort of like in this purgatorial state, or at least, you know, if if you do go to purgatory... You can sort of recognize the suffering that you went through, and then you can make a sort of decision on whether you want to be with God, right, or or you don't, right? So you can make a decision between if you want to go to heaven or hell, right? Um, you know, you recognize this. So at least when you die, I would say that you can you can recognize the suffering. So that's one way. Or there's the corruptionist view, which is where when you die, the next experience you're going to have is that's a general resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that's kind of weird. So like I, I'm sort of agnostic about this debate, personally speaking, but um, on the corruptionist view, um, when you get resurrected, you immediately um, recognize the suffering that you went through, at least on Earth, and then you're you sort of defeat that evil, right? And yeah. Within that moment, 
So no matter which view you hold to, I think um, the evil will be redeemable or at least defeatable. Um, and it will be defeated in some fashion, either mm -hmm. through either through a sort of, uh, you know, either in the intermediate state where um, you, you know, you you realize your suffering and then you sort of make a decision on where you want to go from there. Or, you know, the uh, corruptionist idea, which is um, where like at the moment at your of your physical resurrection, you just automatically like you have this intuitive sense that um, mm -hmm. you've defeated that evil. So. Mm -hmm. okay so maybe one more question then kyle with your theodicy so you want to extend um this a defeat condition not just to like human beings but also to animals so i'm wondering like exactly like what does it look like because people like already have said like animals are going to develop cognitive faculties in like the eschaton um or the afterlife that may be like similar to ours John Schneider wouldn't go as far as that. And just, you know, you have everything in between. So like, what do you think, what does this look like for animals to say like their sufferings are going to be defeated? Does this involve like them being resurrected? And if it does, like, what does that mean? Like, are they going to be thinking like us or what's it going to be like in your view? So um, I actually do lean more towards uh, Trent Dowdery's view on this. I do think that um, they will be defeatable. So there's, a, again, there's there's a debate if, uh, if, if, human, if um, animal souls are going to be like experience intermediate state. And I would say I would respond in the same sort of way where either they defeat their evils in the intermediate state or when they get physically resurrected, they just have this intuitive sense of defeating that evil, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, this is at least from a from a Catholic understanding, if the soul, you know, when you get resurrected, your soul gets reunited with your body, right? And so if the corruptionist view is correct on that sort of account, then... Um, at the moment that you get physically resurrected, you will just immediately have this intuitive sense of defeating that evil, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of like an awakening, <laughs> right? Um, where you're just like automatically like, okay, I, I understand, you know, um, the suffering that I went through is is defeated and I can, you know, move on from here from in that sort of way. Um, and so I would I would respond in the same way, like, yeah, I think animals um, do in some fashion defeat their evils, either in the intermediate state or in the physical resurrection. Mm -hmm. So and then I, I would sort of um, lean towards Dowdery's idea that um, that animals will sort of get better over time. So just as humans will become more holy, become more good over time. Right. It's that whole theosis idea. I actually do extend theosis to animals. Um, yeah. And then more importantly, I actually, I probably, I would probably go a step farther than Trent. And I actually think that defeat will actually apply to the universe, right? Not in a moral sense, but rather in an aesthetic sense, which means yeah. that the universe actually gets better over time, right? In some fashion, like either, either it looks more beautiful, right? Or like, I don't know, like um, things sort of uh, become, it gets to a point where like the laws of physics are sort of structured in a way where the universe never dies it just continually expands and evolves and stuff like that so, mm -hmm. so yeah okay yeah that's great uh, anything else guy you want to say with regards to like your theodicy or anything else before we start to wrap up here um i guess one one uh one thing is that um my theodicy is a work in progress so this is of course i did a whole video on this so if you want more details on the actual theodicy see my video um but I mean, it's a research project, right? So I don't actually know, like, you know, like it's not an, it's not meant as exhaustive, right? So it's not meant to like answer every single possible 
like evil that exists, but rather it's a research project, right? And I think that it, it gives us good resources to sort of answer um, the question of why God allows for evil, right? So again, mm-hmm. consider, I think the most important thing is uh, consider the actual logical considerations here and then see, you know, given those actually logical conditions, what is that going to entail about our world? And I would argue that um, it's going to basically entail a, you know, a physical resurrection at the end of time. And it's going to entail that any evils that we go through is going to be defeated. So, okay. So, yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I've learned a lot and I have a lot to think about and I'll write a little bit about this um, when we're all done. Anything else you want to say with regards to like how people can like follow you or connect with you or anything like that as we wrap up? Um, yeah. So just, you know, subscribe to Christian Idealism. If you go to my about page, you'll find my email. So if you want to email me through there, go ahead. Uh, my email is massapologist at gmail.com. So just, you know, if you guys have any questions on that, just let me know. Well, awesome, Kyle. Thank you so much for coming on. Your channel will be added in the YouTube cha- cha- uh, the YouTube title, Christian Idealism. Really everyone encourage everyone to check out um, Kyle's channel. A lot of great content there and love what you're doing. So highly recommend um, a lot of great content there. If you're new here, always encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff for Tuna Apologetics. And if you really value our content, um, consider becoming a patron. Your support means a lot. You can do it for little as just a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologetics. No new patrons to thank since the last time we did this, but uh, feel free to consider doing that if you really enjoy what we're doing. But Kyle, thank you so much, man. Really enjoyed this conversation. And yeah, thank you. I, Yeah, there's just so much great All stuff. Right. And I hope people listening are like really like encouraged by this and thinking like, hey, there's a lot of like great answers and responses that can be looked at and explain the problem of evil. So thank you. No problem. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Have a good one and God bless.